uh, share with you a little part of uh, the Bible's prediction on the end time. It is easy for us now to look to the news, to read from what we are updated with from the social media, from the internet, from our WhatsApp forward, from the telegram, to get our latest prediction of what's going to happen. But why? Because the Bible has already given us all that. It has given us the picture of where we're going towards the end. And it's so clear, because it's, and it's such a question that people always ask, but they don't want to hear the answer. The disciples were asking Jesus as they sat on the hill and as they looked towards Jerusalem and they were asking Jesus, what's going to happen? And as Jesus shared with them what's going to happen, the fact is they didn't listen. They just heard the, the, the scary part of it, the, the fearful part of it. Before Jesus even finished the story, they were like, it's impossible. It can't be that way. And they rejected it. And that's just not the only thing they rejected that Jesus predicted. Jesus predicted his death, and they rejected that. And so when he really died, they were shocked. And because of their shock, the fear, they were dispersed, and they were hiding because they didn't have to, because of three years, Jesus was preparing them for that. Could we, as a, a group of people, as believers, as followers of Jesus, fall into the same trap that Jesus, God, has been revealing the truth about what's going to happen to us all along, and yet we have not been listening. And then when it happens, we're surprised. And then we're shocked. And then we go into fear, and we run away from the mission that God has given to us that we're supposed to embrace. But before that, in other parts of the world, other parts of the world is going to fall or autumn, my favorite season, where the leaves turns red. And in fact, in some part of Singapore, I don't know why, maybe the aircon's too strong, the leaves does turn red and a little orange. I don't know what's going on over there. But uh, I love it. I love it. Um, and in Andrews, outside my house, there's this huge tree. And I can tell the seasons by the color. You go from red to orange to yellow. Eventually, it goes potak. But it's like I can see it happen right before. As I walk home from school, I'll sit and I'll know the season's changing. And I really, I really love the colors. See, God is so amazing that even in just something of a... As, as natural, as common, as a change of season, He beautifies it. Even in the fact that the leaves are dying, as with Christianity, isn't it? Like with Jesus' life, there's a beauty in the death because the death does not end. Because the death will come, the leaves, dead leaves fall to the ground, become nutrients, and new life comes again, reminding us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even in nature, the gospel is being preached. So it's my favorite season, but the problem is... I live in Andrews University back then, and the, the fall is like traditionally should be about three months. We get about three weeks, and then you get this. Right? So that's about it, right? You get three weeks of beautiful colors, like gold and red, and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden it's all white. It's all white, and that's all you get. It's really cold. And then your cars are like snowed in every day. See, we go to class for like five or six hours, and then you come out and it's just buried. And nobody can find their car because it's just snow. And then you have to remember, okay, where did I park my car? You dig through your car, and then it's so thick, right? And you can't find your car. You find, and you dig through for like 10 minutes, and it's like, it's not your car. 
And so we kind of kind of help each other along. We don't park next to each other because Oran is really hard to get through. So we try to space out and we try to park in a specific spot all the time so that we know that that's our car. Because it's just a lump of snow after like five hours, six hours. And so one of the things that, see, I didn't grow up in snow country, all right? So Barron Springs was my first experience with snow country. I grew up in places with, with winter that is above zero degrees, all right? So, so there, you're like, you have a car, you're taught what to, you need to buy. And you're, you're taught that you need to buy this thing called the, the ice scraper. Because not only is your car snowed in, your windscreen's snowed over, and the ice kind of melts, and then throw, freeze, melt, and then freeze, and then it creates this layer of ice over your windscreen, so you can't really drive until that's melted away. And because your wiper and all that's very under, if you try to turn it on, you break your wiper. Right? You can't even spray like the, 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 the ice-melting liquid that is supposed to melt it because it's just all buried under. So you have to like brush the snow away, like tons and tons of snow, and then, then there's this thin film of ice over your, your windscreen, and you try to scrape it. And then you think, all right, I'll get one of those, and this is what I got, a small, tiny, portable, useful one I can put in my bag and bring to class. Then you realize how big your windscreen is. Like, like, it takes like 20 minutes, like, I'm not lying, 20 minutes to get the snow off the car and then scrape the eyes off. And then by the time you're like, my house is five minutes walk. So I never drove again after that, right? No, I upsized my scraper. <laughs> Guys just need any excuse to buy a new tool, right? So I buy this new tool and it has a brush to brush off the snow. It has a telescopic thing you can extend and then there's this huge scraper, you can scrape it off. It cut down 20 minutes to, to 10 minutes. My house is five minutes walk away. So sensible, so logical. But it makes the work easier, right? It makes the work easier because I got the right tool for the situation. I got the bigger. But the thing is, you need it for other places because if you go for dinner, you drive down to town, you go for dinner, 30 minutes, an hour, same, your car is snowed in. So it's not like you only use it in school, you use it everywhere you go, and I use it at church and all that. So it's really, I'm trying to justify me buying an extra tool. So upsizing the tool, having the right tool for the right circumstances is very important. In Matthew 24, verse 12, it gives us a very clear prediction of what will happen in the end time. Let's read it first. It was a scripture reading, but let's read it again. Let's go to Matthew 24, verse 12. Matthew 24, verse 12 reads, And because lawlessness will be increased, and the love of many will go cold. If you grew up in the Adventist church, you've heard this verse many, 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 many times. It's just before the end of the whole prediction. And you, you hear it and you go, okay, that's what's going to happen. People's going to be like mean and nasty and unkind to one another. But the problem is most of us, most of us think of these people as somebody we don't know. We think of this person, this the love of many, these many as those who is not in Asdaq. The love of many may not even be in Singapore church, right? The many is just somebody. This is vague, unknown person. But the fact is, this prediction, number one, is not pri- 
primarily talking about non-Christians. It's talking about the followers of Jesus. We used to think, oh yeah, I mean like, you know, non-Christians will become mean, they become cold, they become uncaring to one another. Yeah, because they don't have Jesus. But no, this verse primarily was focused towards the church. Because if you read before that, it's talking about false prophets coming into the church to mislead people. And it continues from there. And because of lawlessness, not of the world, but of the church. Because if there's no law, there's no lawlessness because they don't understand what is the law. Only to those who know the law, there is an ignorance or ignoring of the law. This verse was specifically targeted towards church. Because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Followers of Jesus will become cold. But what does it mean to grow cold? What does it mean for followers of Jesus to, to be this way? Next verse gives a little clue and says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, it's to the church. There's no enduring for those who doesn't know God. There's no enduring for those who doesn't know truth. It's for those who are in the church, who knows the truth, who believes in God. But it comes to a place where they're like, forget this. Have you gone cold? Do you find yourself in a place where you're numb? towards others. So one of the things about scraping the snow is, when I was new to it, with the little tiny thing you're scraping, you don't realize that as you scrape, the, 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 the snow gets onto your hand, and you're scraping, you're scraping, like 20 minutes in below zero degrees, or even zero degrees, there's one thing that happened. After scraping for about 20 minutes, you know one thing that happened to me? I couldn't open my hand. It was so cold and numb, I have to pry open my own finger and warm it up because it got so cold and so on. But I didn't realize it happening. It just happened as part of the process of me working, trying to get the snow and the ice off my car. See, the going cold thing is not something that you intentionally, consciously try to do. You don't like, I want to grow cold. If you leave a, a bowl of hot soup on the table, you don't go there and go, go cold, go cold. The problem is when you do that, it doesn't go cold. You realize, like, you want to drink it so hot, right? Just like, <sighs> but the fact that if you, well, the moment you forget about the bowl of soup, it goes cold. It's when your mind is, takes all, your mind's off the, the, the bowl of soup, when you take your attention away from it, that it cools down. Christians, follow of Jesus, we don't grow cold because we want to. We grow cold because we forget what we're here for. We forget why we're following Jesus. We forget that Jesus is coming again. And so we go cold. And because of the lawlessness, the lawlessness is the fact that it becomes normalized in our community and a wider community we call the world, where it goes things that are wrong are now so normalized that it's something that we just accept, and after accepting it, you're like, there's no point arguing against it, there's no point speaking up against it, then you're like, just take it, you accept it, and then it goes cold. 
I didn't, I didn't care about the little bit of snow falling on my hand, just a little bit. I brush it off, I keep scraping, I brush it off, keep scraping, brush it off, keep scraping. I realized that a little bit of snow, 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 was slowly but surely numbing my hand, numbing my hand, numbing my hand, numbing my hand, until the point that I can't open my hand. It doesn't take a great, disastrous circumstance to make you cold. Sometimes it does. Something major, big happens. In fact, I don't think you grow cold. You go to the other end where you're angry, and that's pretty hot. But it's those little things. Little things, it chips away, chips away, chips away, chips away at you. And in order to defend yourself against it, you just reject it, reject it, bury it, bury it, bury it, reject it, and then eventually you grow cold. You don't care anymore. And why is it talking to the Christians? Because the word love is not just any word for love. Because in, in Greek, there's three different words for love. And this is difficult. This is challenging. Because I always thought, man, it's impossible for the church to do this. But it says the agape will grow cold. Agape has always been reserved for God. God has the agape love towards humans. But how can us as humans have agape? I'm selfish. It's always filial. There's always something there. But God says, oh, as an individual, you may not be able to love me, agape, but as a church, you can in what you do. And the word, the idea for love, agape, always includes a moral framework to it, corresponding to lawlessness. And then verse 14 ends that little whole prediction before it goes to the other part, that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. You lose an interest in God and in helping people coming to know God that all you think about is, I don't disturb them, they don't disturb me, let's all live life in peace. And that's how we grow cold. A church that grew cold, a church that forgot about their love was, is found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. 2, 3, 4. First church that's being mentioned, tell me the Revelation 2, 3, 4. Church of Ephesus, today, if you go to uh, Ephesus for the Holy Land tour, all you find is like a little rock monument, not much of it left. But back then, it was one of the most influential, powerful, early church that was planted. Read with me, Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, 4. It says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up carrying, carry up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. It's a, it's, a, it's a praise, right? It's a praise towards the seven churches that, that, that John wrote about and it's a, it's a praise, an encouragement. It says, I know you're enduring. Doesn't it feel like we're enduring right now as a church? Patiently and you're bearing up, you're carrying the burden of Christianity, of the gospel for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake. And you have not gone weary. You've kept at it. You've kept at it. You've kept it. You've done the good work. Praise God. Then the scary thing happens. But I have this against you. This is not anybody speaking. This is Jesus. So when Jesus says, I have this against you, it's like, whoa. That you have abandoned, some verses says, for, some translation says, forgotten the love you had at 
first or your first love. It is not in the fact that we are lazy, the fact that we are just slacking, that we grow cold. The verse is clear that is while you're doing the work, enduring patiently, bearing the burden of the gospel of the church, that you forget the first love. That the work becomes priority in your life, that you forget why you're doing it. You just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and then things happen. You know what thing, what happens? You start objectifying the people you're trying to win. Those just numbers. I'm just trying to bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You don't love them anymore as Jesus does. And as pastor, it's easy to fall into the trap when I go, all right, I need Daniel. He's a good presider. Oh, I need the youth. They're good worship leaders. Oh, I need Joel. She's a good prayer warrior. To stop seeing people as people, but see them as resources. That's dangerous. Because as though you're still doing the work, but you don't love them as a child of God. These will be the people that I will, I, I'm just so afraid that you become, you come before Jesus, just look at what have I done, and Jesus says, who are you? You don't love me. You don't love my child. You don't love my children. So, so, so Jesus mentioned in Matthew, and he, again, in the beginning of Revelation, before the whole book, he mentions the same thing. A key thing that we must be wary of is that at the end time, we will grow cold. If we forget why we're doing what we're doing. If all we're thinking is the work, but not the people, not the people that Jesus is trying to save, you will grow cold. You just become a person trying to earn your way to heaven by being obedient to the call of evangelism. How many pastor's friends I've known have left the ministry because all of a sudden one day they wake up and they realize, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I get attacked, I get ridiculed, I get rejected, disrespected, nobody loves me, I don't love them anymore, forget this. And they don't just stop being pastors. I've got friends who became atheists, agnostics, overnight. It didn't happen overnight, but the realization came overnight. And it's shocking because you'd be like, they're my classmates in Andrews University. They were like, passionate, loving but they kept doing the work, 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 and then they, they went into how to do the work better, how to, to, to spread the gospel better. They, they forget it's about the love of God in their life and the love for the people they're trying to win and the love for themselves. The love, don't, and then we'll go, yep, that's going to happen. It's not going to happen to me. Most of us will think, yep, I'm the, I'm the few. I'm the few, just like Peter. Everyone betrays you, Lord. I will not. I'll die for you, Jesus. Mind you, it was not only Judas who betrayed Jesus. All of them did. John, maybe not. John is a bit questionable. Kind of, I think it's by the side of Jesus, so I'm not so sure. But that's a good thing. He didn't brag about himself. But 
we like to feel like we're that one. We feel like we're the one person who will not grow cold. But that's where it's dangerous. Because you're too confident. And when you're overconfident about who you are, where you stand, that's where you fall into the trap. I'm not saying you should be doubting yourself. But just don't be overconfident to realize that when Jesus talked about the many will grow cold, it includes many of us. Many, if not most of us. But that's not the problem. The problem is continuing to ignore the fact that it's going to happen. Verse 5 gives us the solution. Verse 5 gives us the important antidote that Jesus, throughout the seven letters, if you see, Jesus not just criticize, criticize your gone case. He doesn't provide a way out. No, no, no. He goes, this is the problem. This is how you fix it. I'm telling you beforehand or diagnosing, diagnosing it now so you can get out of it. So the antidote that Jesus provides is this. First, verse 5, he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Remember where it, you used to be. When was the last time you felt passionate, excited, you know, like distracted by other things in your life that you're just like, I love God, even though the church is horrible, the pastor's sermon is horrible, the, the, the friends I have are not really supporting me, but I love Jesus and I know what I want. Where, when was that? How was it like? And forgotten? That you accept the Christ like Jesus, I'm to accept you into my life, I'm to be baptized, I'm to be your follower. When was that and how was it like? And do the works you did at first. People look at this, this verse and go, ah, so God's telling me not to work too hard. God's trying to tell me not to do ministry too much. No, 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 no. That, that, that nowhere, it's, nowhere does it say that. It says, yeah, while doing the work, you grow cold, but it doesn't mean you should stop doing the work. That's not the right conclusion. The conclusion is to do the work you did at first, which is the more important work before the other work. Very often, for those of us who've been in church for a while, working in church ministry can overtake the work of personal connection with God. That we take praying during worship, not saying about you, Joel, can overtake the time of personal prayer. We can take preaching a sermon, overtake the time reading my Bible devotionally. I can take leading worship in songs, take over my personal worship of God. Where I think, well, I'm doing that for church, then I don't need to do this. I think, oh, I'm spending most of my time doing evangelism, sharing the gospel that you have not received the gospel daily. It's not a one-off thing to receive the gospel. It's a daily reminder that you are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. By His mercy you're living. The life you have, the breath you have this morning is by His grace and mercy. Do you think because I'm telling people about Him that I have neglected my personal? I'm not saying that everything should be about you and you alone, but that more often than not, because we are focused on that doing, we forget about being a follower of Christ. We say I have to be a disciple. These are the things that disciples do, but the biggest, most important thing about being a disciple is being at the feet of the right 
person, the feet of Jesus. Not the feet of the pastor. Not the feet of the latest strategy book. Not the feet of the latest Bible commentary. Not the latest feet of the community service. By the feet of Jesus, that's where you need to be first. Do that work so that this work become meaningful. Or else this work, is, if it's missing, this work will result in you growing cold. See, to me, me scraping off the snow of my car is not so I have a car without snow. After 20 minutes, you can't forget why you're scraping off snow. <laughs> After me, it's like the, the idea is to get into my car, turn on the car, drive home. It's to go home. It's not to stay there. It's to get back to my warm house for my hot dinner, not to stand there in the cold looking and admiring my beautifully no-snow car. Get the right priority in life. So we must be careful that duty doesn't trump devotion. When you feel like reading the Bible becomes a chore, you need to pause and go, why do I feel like it? When preparing for Sabbath school lesson becomes an obligation, you must ask yourself, why am I not interested in knowing more about Jesus? Duty must never, ever trump devotion. Devotion should motivate duty. And the other thing that you must be careful, which is the hardest to catch about going cold, is that it is described in the way that you go, you become, you feel just apathy. You don't care anymore. That's how church it is. That's how it is. That's how Christian life is. That's how the church will be in this pandemic. That's how it is. Just float along and just let it go. Or the other side of the coin is complacency. I'm good. I don't need to know more about God. I don't need to study the Bible anymore. I, I've, I've gone through the Bible. I've done the 28 fundamental study. I'm, I'm good. I, I, I go to Sabbath school. I'm good. I listen to Pastor James during sermon. I'm good. Just no personal desire to know more. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. If I don't, don't direct your interest to Jesus, then I've failed. If all you think is, I'll just listen to the next sermon by Pastor James and that's good enough, oh. It must drive you to, to something more, to like, God, I want to speak to you personally into your life and communicate with you, connect with you. The relationship that you must build is not with me, to God. We rejected that as a movement. You don't need a mediator that is human. You have a mediator that is God. You should need to come through me to facilitate spiritual growth. I can do my best to help and support and encourage, but it's God. So ask yourself about your belief. Do you still believe in God in a real and living, active faith, or is it barren and empty and dry and there's nothing there anymore? 
that in time of crisis is where you draw from that well. And you find that you, you struggle when in, in time of crisis, there's nothing there. Then you realize it's barren. Then the, prob- the, 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 the solution is not to like, oh man, I'm barren, I'm stuck, I'm going to be dead. No, 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 it says, God, fill me up now. God still performs miracles today and He can fill out your well instantaneously if you need to. But you need to ask. You need to want it. And the scariest of all is that you have an indifference towards anything God and spiritual. I don't, I'm not against it. I don't care for it. It's a scary place to be. It's often said that as pastors, we'd rather deal with somebody who hates Christianity than somebody who doesn't care about Christianity. Because when you hate Christianity, I found in my past 10 years, 9 years experience, when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm an agnostic. In my heart, I'm like, praise God. Really, really. Because he wants an answer. He's coming to me because he wants me to explain some of the things he's gone through that he doesn't understand. Or else he wouldn't even care. If he hates God, why would he look for a pastor to tell him, I'm an agnostic? I'm like, what's your question? What are you angry about? Let's talk about it. Have more than one agnostic turn over back to Christ because I just, there's one thing that was just blocking the flow of the channel of truth. It was just something that happened or just a misunderstanding that when you show them from the Bible that what they've thought of is not true, boom, no longer an agnostic, active Christian. But it's scary when somebody goes, hey, you want to know more about God? Eh, it's okay. I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. You want Bible study? Do you don't want Bible study? <laughs> Those are the hardest. Don't care. Indifference. That's why I think the Bible says rather hot or cold, right? Lukewarm. Hmm. So again, back to the word agape. What's deeper and more important about this word is that this love doesn't come from you trying to have it. You can't have agape. You can't want it and then get it. You receive it. God is love. God is agape. You must first know agape, be filled by agape, to show agape. You cannot by doing certain things, then all of a sudden, oh, I've earned enough credit for agape. No, no, no. Agape is receiving a gift. It's to be at a position, a space of humble, humble humility to go, God, I don't love people. That's my prayer every day. I, go, I, just, I honestly don't love people, man. People are really annoying. <laughs> people are really scary. And help me love them then when you find yourself loving them, you, you're surprised. I love that guy. How is that possible? Not very pleasant, but I love him. And you know that's not from you, that's from God. And it's not like you can ask for God, give me a week advance of agape. Sometimes it's just like the agape lasts for 10 minutes. And you need to refill. Because some people just take so much from you, right? Like, and then you're emptied out. And thank God we've got to end the supply God, more agape. God, refill me. 
That's why for me, I don't do back-to-back Bible studies sometimes because I just drain from some studies. The next study guy always suffers. The second session guy will be like, oh. So that's why I don't do it anymore. I take a break and go back to God. I go, God, I'm all drained. Can you fill me up? It's not about communicating just facts. I'm going to communicate love. And then I'm ready. God fills me up. I pray. I spend time with worship of God. Then I go to my next study. I'm like, I love God again. And because I love God, I love you. And I don't look at you just as a number, as somebody that's going to tick off the list. So receive daily. And then this love, this change cannot happen just exteriorly, super, super, superficially. It has to happen deep within you. A conversion that is just who you are as a person. And if you've been for the longest time stuck in this apathy, indifference, coldness, it's time to go deep, look deep down what's happened. Look deep, long backwards what happened. What happened that made you, brought you here today? So there's three R's. I want to share with you. There's three R's, suggestion, not magic antidote, not fix it all. Three suggestions is this. Number one, remember. The Bible says, remember when something's gone, you cannot just get it back if you don't remember it. You must remember that it's gone. Just like the Sabbath, that's why one of the Ten Commandments, one of the things that we forgot, forget most often is remember the Sabbath. And here is remember where you were. And remembering takes time. It takes time to just like stop, pause, think, reflect what happened. And it's not very comfortable. One of my things I had to do for my studies is my, my, my prof forced us to spend one day thinking about your journey of, or your walk with Jesus throughout the years. And especially the juncture when you became a full-time worker in the ministry. What happened then? What things you went through? And then where you are today? And I, I, I didn't want to. Because there are things you look back and go like, oh. You know, and you look at and, and then you realize that for sure that you've lost a lot of the passion. People say, I heard this when I first started ministry excited, trying to do things for Christ, and then there'll be older, more experienced pastors go, it will wane. And I'm thinking, why? And why is it said with such a, that's how it should be? Why? Why is that, that as after, ten, oh, after 10 years, you, you, you mellow down? Why should I be working towards being mellowed down? It's not a job. Get into the flow of the occupation. No. And so reflecting, I, f- I saw myself going to that apathy, you know, flow, just routine, and I, whoa, I was like, that's not good. So remember, remember where you were. Then the more important thing, once you realize, don't stay there. Repent. Repent. Repent is not beat yourself out feeling guilt ridden, just like that's not where I want to be, go back to where you should be. And you realize that that return journey is not something you can do by yourself. You need a guide. You need somebody come go, walking with you. It comes in two, two forms. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. And you need maybe a mentor, or a person, a real person that just reminds you about that journey. Don't walk alone. Many of us try to come back alone and you fail and you fall better it is for two, right? So when one falls, pick it up. You fall seven times and pick it up. Don't walk alone. Then return. 
work towards returning to where you were. Don't just general travel in a general direction back to God. Look for that place where you want to be. Go back there, because that's awesome. If you've forgotten what, what, what it's like being passionate, excited for Jesus, start today. Think about what that was like and go back there. So the question I'm going to leave you today, church, do you want to upsize your faith? Or you can just be mediocre, stick with what you have. But let me warn you, what you have is going to just go down that path of coldness because many will grow cold. So finally, just some practical, practical words. Don't just read the word. This is just personal, what I've been trying to do. Let the word read you. What do I mean? Don't just read it for information. To, what can you take out of it to defend your position or to teach Sabbath school or whatever? Don't just read that. Put yourself out and list out everything the Bible says that you might not be aligned with. Just write that out. You'll be scary. It'll be quite, it's quite scary to see how long the list can get. God says this. I don't have it. I do this. I don't have it. Take that list and says, God, I need help. You're not perfect yet. Neither am I. Sometimes I think we are. Let the Bible read you. This is even better. Don't just pray for others. Pray with others. As a pastor, it's so easy to go, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. But at times I go, nope, why don't I pray with you right now? Why don't I just give you a call and say, well, let's pray together. And just, instead of just pray for you, pray for you, pray for you, pray for you. I have a prayer list. I pray for a lot of people every day. But it's even better when I pray with them. Of course, I can't pray the entire list every day. I go through it. I can pray at least one a day, and I'll do that. And then don't pray for your family. Pray with your family. Don't just pray for your parents. Pray with your parents, kids. Don't just pray for your children. Pray with your children. And you know, Lucas is going through a stage where he's talking a lot. And we're praying together. And his prayer is so simple. But sometimes just like after his prayer, I just hear God speaking. I'm like, that's a child's faith. And I go, God, I have so much to learn from you. That I have so much to remember because I've forgotten what it's like to believe. Because God said it, it's going to happen. We read the Bible, they just God said this, he, Lucas will pray for it, it'll happen. And I'll be like, that doesn't happen that way, or does it? Don't just share the gospel, church. Live the gospel. Don't just tell people they're saved by Jesus. Remember, you are saved by Jesus. And how we are to live as one who's redeemed, as one who's saved, is the homework, I think, that for eternity, keep us warm, keep us on the right path, keep us walking in God. Amen.
Shall we receive the benediction? May the love of God fill you up. And may the power of Jesus' resurrection be real in your life from today onwards. And may the transforming spirit continually transform you from deep within. They live a life of empowerment, not growing cold. Amen.